Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> no, I'm looking at Mark's uh, timely tweet. That's so funny. Seriously? I know, right? It just came out like two days ago. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm grabbing this. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to our show, Is It Serious?, a conversational podcast where we share our doctor knowledge without all the complex doctor talk. I'm Jean-Luc Neptune, MD. My friends call me JL, and I'm an internal medicine physician based in New York City, where I practice addiction medicine at my company, Suntra Modern Recovery. In addition to being a physician, I'm also a healthcare entrepreneur and investor, and I'm passionate about making our healthcare system better for everyone. And I'm Dr. Mark Lewis. I'm a medical oncologist based in Salt Lake City, where I treat cancers of the gut. I'm also a patient myself living with a hereditary tumor syndrome. So I think about healthcare from both sides of the exam table. Hey, Mark. How's it going this week? Well, I know we're going to be discussing insomnia. So based on very recent experience, I highly recommend against checking your phone at one in the morning and discovering that a war has broken out. I was tossing and turning the other night. I made the fatal error of checking uh, my phone, and I was like, oh, this is uh, this is not great. And it was uh, hard to get uh, sleep after that. How are things with you, man? I'm good, actually. I've been similarly taken with the conflict in uh, between Russia and, the, and Ukraine. Uh, so I've lost a little bit of sleep over that. But I have been having some difficulty falling asleep lately because we've been so busy with the podcast and yeah. I've been busy at work. And, you know, I, I tend to work until I'm really ready to sleep, which is not a good habit. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. So I end up counting the cracks for a bit uh, <laughs> uh, as, as, I, as I lay in bed. And, you know, it's funny. I had a friend casually tell me, I should take an Ambien, which got me thinking about the key question for the episode today, which is how much Ambien is too much Ambien? It's a great question. I hope you're counting cracks in the ceiling and not cracks in your psyche. But uh, yes, I think this is a great question and one that I think our listeners will find very relevant. I have to be honest and I have to say that normally I've been a good sleeper most of my adult life. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but that said, you know, as a mental health and addiction treatment provider, I know that sleeping does not come naturally for a lot of people. Right. Uh, you know, some people who have anxiety and depression, their number one problem is lack of sleep or insomnia. Um, you know, personally for me, I need a solid eight to feel 100% mentally. Um, you know, I find that when I'm at eight hours, my brain is totally recharged. But, you know, as an American, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm sort of soft, although I do know that <laughs> not, not everybody is the same. You know, for me, I find like anything less than six hours, like I'm a mess. My brain does not work normally. But I have had friends who like sleep four hours a night. I think there's a genetic component too, you know? Yeah, exactly. But you know, there's also almost like a, you know, people talk about their body clock, but I think there's a, there's almost a, an accountant, like this whole sleep debt idea. Like, do you, do you feel like you catch up on the weekends? Big time. And, and, and I know actually that's when I'm cheating usually is, you know, I can usually get during the week like seven hours and then Saturday it catches up with me and I'll sleep like 10 hours or so. And, you know, as a, as a parent, as a coach, as an Uber driver on weekends for, for my kids' activities, it's just, you know, uh, it, when, when somebody is tugging at my feet at 10 o'clock in the morning, I know, I, I know that I've cheated during the week. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> 
Hey, what's your sleep regimen like? You know, how do you sleep? Have you ever taken Ambien or anything like that to help you sleep? Oh boy. Um, this is definitely going to be a case of do as I say, not as I do. And I suspect many of us in medicine are actually hypocrites when it comes to this exact <laughs> topic, right? And, and part of it's just the rigors of our training jail. I have this sure. really vivid memory of being in residency. I had this clinic where I saw patients every week. And I remember counseling my patients on, you know, good sleep hygiene when I was working 80 hours or more. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, if only I could take my own <laughs> advice. Yeah. But I do have an ambient experience to share. And to be honest with you, and this podcast I hope doesn't come across as fear-mongering, I just want to give an honest account mm -hmm. of what it was like for me, not as a doctor, as, as a person, as a patient. Sure. So I had this big cancer surgery in 2017. I had half my pancreas removed. It was quite traumatic, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And in the weeks afterwards, so I was recovering from surgery. I wasn't yet back to work. I have to stress that. I was not taking Ambien while trying to operate as an oncologist. Mm -hmm. um, and I told my doctors, I was like, hey, listen, I've really had a problem with insomnia. And I've realized since then, this is in, in no way unique to me. Um, there's a lot of theories about why people have this around operations. And it's kind of chicken or the egg. You can ask, well, is it the surgery itself? Is it the is it the invasiveness of the operation? Is it even the chemicals that go along with general anesthesia? Or mm -hmm. is it the pain and the anxiety that accompany uh, you know, recovery? And, and right. it's, I think, really hard to tease those apart. Where I see this in my professional life, Jail, is you know I'm an oncologist. I have a lot of patients come to me and they're like, Dr. Lewis, this treatment is making me muddled. And they use this phrase, chemo brain. Yes. Um, but then I know pharmacologically, I know chemically that the drugs I'm giving them are not necessarily penetrating their brain. As you know, mm -hmm. as our listeners should know, the brain has this incredible and very complex coding around it called the blood-brain barrier. And my point is, you see these sleep difficulties happen around times of enormous stress in people's lives. Mm -hmm. and, and to say the least, this operation was stressful for me. So my ambient experience was really, honestly, I'll use the word scary because I don't like not being in control of my faculties. Mm -hmm. And the thing about ambient I found most unnerving, I did get to sleep, don't get me wrong, but there was this about 30 minute window between when I took the pill and when I actually fell asleep that I could not recall. Wow. And, and more worryingly, for not just for me, but for my poor wife. You know, I, I really was not in a whole lot of uh, control of what I was doing. Like I was, I was starting to sleepwalk. Wow. Uh, one time she found me taking a, like a, a picture off the wall in our bedroom, <laughs> right? And, and I'm not an interior designer. <laughs> I don't have that eye for, for design or arrangement. And, I, and again, what's really kind of troubling is I don't remember any of this. Mm. So we made an arrangement you know, between the two of us. If I was ever going to take this, I actually had to be lying down in bed before I took the tablet. But I only took it for a couple weeks. And I was like, you know what? I got to get off this. There's no way I can take this and, and work. And, and that's unfortunate because, you know, like you're getting at, as physicians, we want to be on top of our game. We want to be super sharp you know, with what we do. So much of it is, you know, mental acuity. So I did not want to be taking anything at all that was impairing that. But even this window where I was literally post-operative, you know, recuperation and being a patient, I really came away with, with a lot of respect for this medication. 
and, and what it can do to the mind. Um, have you heard of uh, your patients or other folks having similar experiences? Sure. I mean, the, the, these these stories have been big in the news. So you may remember, you know, back in uh, 2006, there's a, a representative from Rhode Island, uh, part of the, the Kennedy uh, family, Patrick Kennedy. He crashed his car at the U.S. Capitol. When he was pulled out of the car, they said he was visibly intoxicated, but he did not, he claimed he did not have alcohol in the system. He had Ambien. He had mixed it with a other medication that he was taking for oh. nausea. And, uh, you know, oh, wow. he, he literally had like almost a drunk driving experience that he couldn't remember. Um, and it's interesting Gosh. because, you know, he's actually gone on to, he actually had an issue with substances, ended up going to rehab. And interestingly, oh. he's become a big advocate for mental health treatment, for addiction treatment. Wow. Uh, so a really prominent voice uh, in my space for sure, but just a very, you know, public example of a guy who is operating at the highest level. He is a representative of our government, uh, of his citizens to the government, and he's crashing a car. He doesn't even remember it. Wow. You Gosh, know? that's that's really alarming. I, I'm, it's great that he's now an advocate for mental health for others, but it sounds like he had some pretty troubling experience of his own. It's interesting how this drug I- impacts people and how it affects their, their minds, you know? And he's not the only one, obviously. Right. Yes. And it's that amnestic part, again, that I think is so troubling, even for the person. And like like you, I've actually seen folks on flights, you know, either take um, anxiety medicine because they're afraid of flying or they take Ambien, especially if it's like a long distance flight and they know it's going to disrupt their circadian rhythm. But the celebrity that came to mind to me was was Tiger Woods. Yeah. And again, I'm not here to, to gossip at all, really. And, and I know he's had a really difficult time in, in the public eye. I'm not here to completely exonerate him either. I think he's had three pretty notable kind of car accidents. Yep. The one where there was actually toxicology that I'm aware of was in um, 2017. I don't know if you remember this. This was a really, I think, a difficult time for him. And when they stopped him, I think they they had him try to like do the alphabet backwards and he was completely impaired and able to do that. Mm -hmm. And then like the tox report showed that he had Ambien in his system. But to your point, it had been combined with other substances, so opioids, I think specifically it was Dilaudid, which is a really powerful one, yep. and Vicodin, which is also well-known, and then um, benzodiazepines, some of these anxiety medicines that we also mentioned. And I think it's, again, it's the combination. Uh, it's not just the ambient itself. It's the combination that can be so difficult. And he actually crashed his car, I think, as recently as last year, as 2021. Yeah, and again, it looked as if he was asleep at the wheel, but I don't think he had any formal testing at that point. But you know, this whole notion of sort of sleep driving is so alarming. I mean, no one should ever be behind the wheel um, of a vehicle unless they're in control. And there's, you know, there's people who have crashed their cars on Ambien. I've actually had patients report weight gain (laughs) on the medicine. And I think it's because of this sleep eating phenomenon. And again, I've had, you know, folks say, you know, Dr. Lewis, I woke up and my pantry was half bare and I had basically (laughs) gone on like a binge and I don't remember it, (laughs) you know? It's crazy. You know, and it's funny. We, we, we are laughing. I think, you know, what, what I've often found is that there's medical humor and there's just certain yeah. things that as doctors we find very funny. And this notion of, you know, eating because you're asleep. I mean, I, I sometimes, especially when I'm training hard, I will get up in the middle of the night to eat something, to have like a piece of fruit yeah. or something. But the idea of like getting out of bed, not being aware that you're, you know, you're raiding your pantry. I don't know. That to me, that's very fun. <laughs> Well, yeah, you wake up and it's like, who did this? And it's like, oh, it was me, you know? And again, it's that, it's that disconnect that is, is, again, having taken it myself, that, that's why I'm glad that we're talking about this. And I, I, I'm an open book. I'm happy to tell our listeners, um, again, this is me as a person, not just as a doctor. It really opened my eyes and, you know, made me realize these drugs are not entirely benign. 
they're, they're great if they help you get restorative sleep, if they actually do what they're supposed to do. But I think they do come with these really significant warning labels. And, uh, you know, we we're, we have done an, uh, an episode on obesity and weight gain, you know, telling your doctor that you're, you're gaining weight, but <laughs> You didn't do it. That's like telling your doctor that your dog ate your homework, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's the shaggy defense. It wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So it's been great to talk about our sleep experiences and talk about Ambien. Um, and after the break, what we'll do is we'll talk a little bit more about sleep and about a little bit more about Ambien and how it might fit into somebody's sleep program. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So let's talk about sleep and let's really dig in and get to the core of what is keeping someone awake in the first place. So, you know, I, I will say that in recent years, we've really come to an understanding that sleep is important and it's becoming more of a mainstream thing to talk about, which I think is really good. I think so too. And, you know, JL, earlier you were being self-effacing. You said you felt soft uh, <laughs> to need need sleep, almost like it's, uh, you know, taking away from your work ethic. I've actually come to view it and it took a long time. Uh, the opposite, where I realize now sleep is something I need to do my job. I need it to be mentally restored. So I agree. I think it's becoming much more acceptable to recognize this is something that we all need. Sure. And and I think a very important for any cause, but certainly a healthcare cause, it's always great to have a celebrity. So Ariana Huffington, <laughs> who is the publisher of the Huffington Post, actually wrote a book in 2011 called The Sleep Revolution. And at least for a year, she was all over. She was on Oprah. She was on the news talking about how important sleep is and how it could benefit you in terms of your career, your sex life, your physical appearance. I think all things that are true. So I think that she has played a big role. And I think as we've come to understand and the problems associated with not sleeping enough, I think people have really started to emphasize getting sleep to address those issues. Yeah, that's exactly right. And of course, you know, individual results will vary, but there are some norms that I think we should talk about. So the Centers for Disease Control, and I realize in the COVID era, when I invoke the CDC, maybe that doesn't have the same uh, sort of universal meaning it used to, but uh, I'll try to make this apolitical and say that the CDC says that most adults between the ages of 18 and 60 mm -hmm. should be getting seven or more yep. hours per night. Mm -hmm. And then what's really interesting, I actually learned this as a medical student, I went back and told my mother, is that teenagers need more sleep. And, and the reason I did that is when I was in high school, my poor mom, one of her uh, many duties was to try to get me up in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I was always so sluggish. <laughs> and I had this class I remember I had to get up really, really early for her. And she was always calling up to me and asking me if I was uh, awake yet. And it, I got back and told her in hindsight, you know, I, I know I seemed like I was just being a difficult adolescent. Uh, in fact, at that stage in development, the body just needs uh, more sleep. So there are these government standards of uh, what sleep is normal, depending on what age you are. And, and I remember, you know, at, there are times when I was in college, I mean, I, I could sleep 12 hours, 14 hours, no problem. So, you know, I think definitely when you're younger and your brain is forming and, you know, you're learning a lot, you're e exerting yourself physically, you definitely need a lot of sleep. Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes people don't sleep well. And I think that's a big thing that we wanted to talk about today. So I think 
a key point for us that we wanted to make in our podcast is helping people think the right way about their healthcare and how to get the best results. So I think the key point that we wanted to make about sleep is that sleep is often a symptom of something else that's going wrong. And the what we want people to focus on is always to get at the root cause, like what's causing you to not be able to sleep. And there are many causes of insomnia or of in being unable to sleep, stress, anxiety, and depression, physical illness, like uh, surgery, medications, neurologic problems uh, that can make it very difficult for people to sleep. There are sleep disorders like sleep apnea and restless leg syndrome. So rather than taking a medication, let's say, as the first thing that you do, you know, what we encourage people to do is get a good workup, find a good sleep specialist, get a sleep study done, and often you can find out the root cause of why you may or may not be having good sleep. Yeah, and JL, as you mentioned, we really want our listeners to get something out of this in terms of their own health care. And we've talked before, too, about just the premium that's placed on the, the few minutes that you might have with your doctor. And, and I'll be honest, you know, we are solution-oriented people. It's actually quite easy to just prescribe a medicine like Ambien. In fact, it may be too easy. Mm -hmm. um, but the harder thing to do, and this is where the patient can sort of help by doing some sort of pre-work and thinking about these, these causes, is identify why is it that that particular person is having a hard time sleeping. And if you get at the root cause, uh, then Ambien feels like less of a Band-Aid that's placed upon an unsolved problem. Absolutely. And and look, sometimes Ambien is the right solution, but sometimes mm -hmm. there are other things that are going on that uh, that can be addressed as well. But it brings to mind a great question. What is Ambien? We've talked about it yeah. uh, a, a bit so far. Uh, so Ambien is a brand name for a generic drug called Zolpidem. Uh, it is actually one of the top 50 drugs prescribed in the most recent data that we looked at, probably even more prescribed during the pandemic. It's been around for a long time, approved for medical use back in 1992, and is part of this class of drugs called sedative hypnotic drugs, and that's sort of the, the class name tells you what they do. They're also part of what is called the Z drugs. So all the drugs in this class, or many of the drugs in this class, start with the letter Z. You know, we did a whole episode about weird drug names. So, you know, it's part of a class of drugs. There's Zolpidem, Zaloplon, and Zopiclone. Uh, so you hear that, <laughs> that, that letter Z. And I think back in the 90s, a lot of those drugs started with X and with Z. And essentially, it's a drug that works a lot like Valium, a lot like Xanax, but actually has a very different structure. And it's actually a controlled substance. So for you or I to prescribe it, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, you need a special license, you need a DEA license, and then there's often yep. a actually a special process for ordering. Like on my electronic medical record system, I have to go through a couple of extra clicks to be able to prescribe that medication for my patients. So Jay, at this point, I think it's appropriate that we point out there are situations, there are circumstances where it's appropriate to prescribe and take Ambien. But I think the indications are actually narrower than a lot of people realize. Mm -hmm. Some doctors even don't know that Ambien is indicated for short-term treatment of insomnia, but short-term only. Yep. It's not intended for long-term use. It's not supposed to be a drug people take chronically. And partly this goes back to the evidence on which the approval was predicated. You mentioned this drug has been around now for, I guess, 30 years. Mm -hmm. The studies that led to its approval were really only looking at a very narrow window of time. I think the longest study actually was about five weeks in length. And what's interesting also is the potential for lag. It turns out like the military in particular has a particular problem because they want, say, fighter pilots to be well-rested. Mm -hmm. But, of course, they also want them to be very yeah. alert, alert, shall we say, in, mm -hmm. in the cockpit. And so this ability of Ambien to affect 
uh, what's called sleep latency. It's the amount of time it takes for comes when your head hits the pillow to when you fall asleep. That actually can continue for up to 35 days. Wow. So there's this really interesting balancing act of how quickly it works, but then also the longevity. Um, and again, I think it all comes back to short-term use only. This short-term use issue is actually very important, not just for sleep. It's actually a very important concept that you see in a lot of medications. And I definitely see this in the addiction space. You know, if you were to think about benzodiazepines, drugs like Valium and Xanax, if you were to think about opiates like Percocet and Vicodin, I mean, those are really wonder drugs. I mean, they, they, they are amazing at treating what they're supposed to treat. So, you know, if you have a problem with anxiety, uh, Xanax can be very good. If you have a problem with sleeping, Valium can be very good. Uh, but the problem is those drugs are not meant to be taken in the long term. They are not long-term solutions. And unfortunately, they're often prescribed on a short-term basis that becomes a long-term basis. Same thing with the opiates. You know, people uh, present with pain syndromes. You know, I see a lot of people who sort of do physical work, have pain, you know, they have back pain from lifting things or being on their feet all day. Somebody will write them a prescription for a pain medication that's only supposed to last for a short period of time, but ends up lasting for much longer. So yep. that's where you start to get into trouble. And, and really sort of the big four areas that we talk about is we talk about there's a risk of tolerance. Uh, so that's a technical word where you need to use more of the medication to get the same effect. There's a risk of dependence where if you try to stop the medication, you actually get withdrawal symptoms. So that's another reason that we try to keep people on a short-term basis. There's a risk of abuse where you're taking the medication for non-prescribed purposes. And then, you know, sort of the, the worst thing that happens is addiction, where people get compulsive inappropriate appropriate use of a, a substance like a medication that can lead to negative consequences. So if you have anxiety, yes, uh, benzo can work for you in the short term, but there are better long-term kinds of treatments for anxiety that don't develop tolerance and dependence. Same thing for pain. If you have back pain, yes, an opiate can help you, but there are better long-term treatments that can help people with chronic pain syndromes. And again, obviously your um, expertise in mental health, I think really applies here. Like none of this is intended to be judgmental for our right. audience. Absolutely. You know, I want to talk about this really sort of shorn of any sort of uh, morality and just talk about this almost as a pharmacology issue and address the side effects of uh, a drug like Ambien. So in the short term and almost deliberately, it's going to cause drowsiness. Yep. Um, in the first 10 days of use, people have actually also described dizziness. And for what it's worth, and again, I don't remember this, my <laughs> wife says that in that in that 30 minute window, I would kind of stumble. A wow. bit. It almost looked like I was intoxicated. Um, and then uh, people have also described, and this is sort of strange, but they've described diarrhea on mm -hmm. the medicine in that first 10 day uh, period. Now, up to 35 days later, though, you can have these lingering feelings of drowsiness. Let's not forget this, this medicine's working on your central nervous system. So I think it's really important to recognize sooner rather than later, if it's impairing your alertness, if it's impairing your coordination and your motor skills, mm -hmm. it can change your behavior. It can really take away your inhibitions. You might become uh, more aggressive or more extroverted. Mm -hmm. um, you can hallucinate. Yep. Um, and then, you know, I'll just say again on a personal note, I think it's really important, you know, if you live some with someone that you tell them that you're going to take this medicine so that they can recognize if these changes are happening in you and sort of be 
your reliable witness if you can't remember what happens. And as we mentioned before, you know, there's the medication itself, but there's really the medication plus other stuff. That's what really, I think, tends to get a lot of people in trouble. So Ambien very clearly on the label says not to be used with alcohol. Unfortunately, people will use it with alcohol and can have complications as a result of that. It can also be synergistic with other medications that interact with your central nervous system. So for instance, you know, people take Dramamine, you can buy it over the counter. Uh, for nausea, Dramamine can interact with Ambien. Pain meds like Percocet, as I said before, you know, if you're getting Percocet for a toothache or something like that, it can interact with the Ambien. And then even muscle relaxants, there's a, a medication called Soma that people use sometimes for back pain and other things, that can interact. Yes. Uh, so you have to be careful. And I think, again, working with your physician to understand those things are really important. And then there are certain populations like elderly people and people who have liver dysfunction who don't clear the medication as well who can have issues. So again, those are all things that as you're taking a medication, you know, we want our audience to be educated. Understand that when you take a medication, there are things that can happen as a result of taking that medication and we want you to be aware. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the nausea medicine because as an oncologist, you might imagine I prescribe a lot of it mm -hmm. and I have actually warned patients of you know, a lot of these nausea medicines work on your brain and you don't want to have a negative interaction with another drug like Ambien. And then a lot of my patients are elderly too. And I take that into account when I'm dosing. If I have a older person, I almost always start at the five milligram uh, dosage, which okay. is the lower dose mm -hmm. of Ambien. Um, and so I think it's important to ask your doctor, not just is Ambien right for me, but is this the right dose for me? So I, I think our take home me messages, again, not to come across at all judgmental, are every medicine has side effects. Always ask yourself and your physician, you know, do the benefits of taking this medication outweigh the risks? How can I mitigate the side effects? Uh, and again, dosage is, a, is an appropriate thing to ask. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly here, you know, what is the period of time where it's going to be appropriate to use this? And realize that if you're following the on-label indication, Ambien is only designed to be used for a short time measured in weeks and really not much longer than a month. All right. Sounds good. So it's been great talking about sleep and great talking about Ambien. Uh, I think we could do uh, s sessions like this on so many different medications and so many sleep conditions or so many conditions like sleep. So uh, I'm excited about that. And I think before we go today, we wanted to talk a little bit more about sleep or as a, you know, a final comment about sleep, we'll categorize it as a mental health moment. And I think one of the great things about sleep is that there's actually a lot that you can do to improve your sleep without medication. And and I think that's you know a really important takeaway that we want to have for, for people today. As doctors, the term that we we refer to is we refer to it as having good sleep hygiene. You know, hygiene is cleanliness, and imagine that sleep is you know good sleep cleanliness. Um, and there are a variety of different categories. So number one, having a schedule, uh, having a schedule, fixed wake up uh, and bedtimes prioritizing that schedule, and really avoiding napping during the daytime. And I have to tell you, Mark, to be honest, I violate all of those. I go to bed <laughs> at a different time every night. I wake up at a different time. So that's the advice I'm giving to somebody else, but it definitely works. Yes. I think having a nightly routine is very important. You know, dimming the lights, staying off your devices, using relaxation techniques like mindfulness and meditation can really make a difference. So you probably shouldn't be checking tweets about the invasion of Ukraine uh, before you go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Healthy habits are really important. So exercise is great. Avoiding alcohol and uh, or reducing the amount of alcohol you drink, avoiding caffeine late in the day, avoiding late meals in the day, mm -hmm. and then really using your bed only for sleep and maybe one other thing. And we'll sort of leave that to the minds of our, of our listeners. <laughs> and then finally, optimize your bedroom. 
invest in good bedding. We, we, I just bought a beautiful new, or my wife just bought a beautiful new comforter that helps me sleep a lot. Uh, block, oh, that's awesome. Block out the lights, use a, a light shade or heavy curtains. Um, try to cool your sleeping area, so air conditioning or opening a window. And then trying to drown out noise. You know, it's a big issue for us here in New York. We live uh, a block away from Broadway, so people will honk, honk horns all the time. So sometimes my wife and I will sleep with earplugs. So, you know, trying to reduce the stimuli that can wake you up or prevent you from being able to sleep are things that you can do to to make it easier to fall asleep and stay asleep. That's awesome. All wonderful advice. And thank you for admitting that, you know, we're not saying that we're perfect. I know my sleep hygiene could be a lot better. And in fact, <laughs> I'm going to try to apply some of these tips to, to my own uh, health, uh, make my sleep cleaner, as you say. Um, <laughs> so before we go, Jay, I don't have a, a mean tweet so much as a timely tweet. So okay. this literally came out from the New York Times just a couple days before we are recording this. Mm -hmm. And this is what it said. It said, Abby Broyles, a candidate for the U.S. House in Oklahoma, apologized after parents said she swore at children <laughs> during a sleepover at a friend's house. And uh, this is the exact quote from from uh, uh, from Abby Broyles. She said, I have no memory of what happened because, quote, she mixed alcohol in a sleep medicine, just like you said. Oh, boy. She, she said, I had an adverse reaction. Instead of helping me sleep, I hallucinated. And I don't remember anything until I came to and I was throwing up in a hamper. <laughs> and as best I can tell, this was politically disastrous for her as well as very, very embarrassing. And again, we're not here really to make fun of her. It's just illustrate all of the things you said, all the caveats about taking this medicine. Certainly, certainly do not combine it with alcohol. Absolutely. And I've never sworn at kids at a sleepover, but I have yelled at kids <laughs> in a sleepover and, uh, you know, tell them to, to go to bed. So, you know, I empathize with her a little bit there. <laughs> all right. So, in closing, we want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we hope you did, we didn't put you to sleep today. Uh, <laughs> if you have any medical questions or would like clarification about something medical, please ask us. You can find me on LinkedIn or, or my Twitter at, at Jean-Luc Neptune. Mark yourself. Yeah, my Twitter handle is at Mark Lewis MD. You can also email us at isitserious at offscript.com or call us at Offscript Health and leave a message. We might just use your question on the show. Our number is 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-283-4666. All right. Sounds good. And as we always say, while we love talking about medicine and healthcare, remember that this show doesn't provide medical advice. If you have any questions, make sure to ask your doctor. Take care, everybody. And please join us next time for Is It Serious? That's all for now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all of your friends to listen. Do you have a medical question or concern? Ask us by leaving a message at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-283-4666. Or you can email us at isitserious at offscript.com. And we might just use your question in a future show. Is It Serious is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Joey Brenneman and Ariel Nachman. Our hosts are Dr. Jean-Luc Neptune and Dr. Mark Lewis. Our researcher is Emma Gomez and our sound mixer is Kyle Moore. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.